Well, we are in Romans chapter 8, and uh, we are traveling through this a little bit at a time. Uh, Not only are we doing this on Sundays, but we have encouraged people to do this individually through the 40-day time of fasting. Now, you may be in the middle of your fasting, you may have just started, you may have uh, kind of getting close to the end of that. And so no matter when you started, we're all doing this together. And uh, if you want more information, you can go to our, uh, our website and go to lakepointonline.com forward slash 40 days, and you can actually download uh, this journal to where we can, we can use it on your own. But we're walking through Romans. And why Romans? Because I feel like it's, the, uh, it's really a great letter, a great book, a great starting point for us to form our faith. Now, you may have read through Romans before, uh, you may have studied it uh, before, but no matter how many times you, you've studied it, or maybe you're just looking at it for the first time, maybe you're, you're uh, someone who's, who's searching for truth in your life, and maybe you're starting this journey, whatever the case may be, I know this, that you and I can be reminded of the spiritual truths that, um, that forms the foundation of our faith in Romans. And uh, so as, as we form our faith through Romans and we walk through this journey, we've learned s- several things so far. Uh, for instance, in, uh, in week one, we learned uh, not to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, we know that uh, creation was formed by God, but the world, the world looks at God as if, uh, as if he didn't create things. He, they don't look at God as the all-creator. And so because of that, there's no God, there's no existence of God, and there's no reason to have God in their life. And so what God does is he gives them over to the desires of their sinful nature. We find that in Romans chapter 1 as we talk about the problem of sin. And we continue in the problem of sin by looking at ourselves in Romans chapter 2 as we uh, looked at this and, and understand that as, as believers, a lot of times we set ourselves up as sort of the supreme judges in God's uh, court well, God doesn't need any help to have judges. He doesn't need our help to judge people. God is going to do that on his own. But sometimes we kind of get in our, our, on our mighty horse and look down upon people. Or we look at uh, the world with our own eyes of, of Christian privilege or uh, being hypocritical. And so not only is a problem with people in the world uh, not looking at God as creator and, and pushing them aside, but as believers, the problem of sin for us to look at people in a judgmental way. Well, then Paul goes into uh, uh, Romans chapter 3 with the provision of sin. He looked at the problem of sin and now the provision of sin. The provision of sin is with the faith in Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, God has provided the provision or the answer of our sin. And it's not about changing our outward, uh, our outward ways. It's really all about changing us from the inside out, looking at the inside and allowing the Holy Spirit to change us from the inside and out. And then we continued in through, once you have the Holy Spirit and once you have the gospel in your life, you have the benefits of the gospel. Paul continued that on into uh, chapter four. And um, and we are not in a position um, where, where we're, we're being punished just for our, our sins because once we have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, Jesus Christ took our sin and all of our sin was laid upon him and he, 
it died with him on the cross. And so he took the punishment of our sin. And so that obviously is a huge benefit of following Jesus Christ. And, but it means more than just not being punished for our sins. When we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, there's lots of benefits. We talked about that um, in week four of this series, and you can go back and listen to that on our website. But there's lots of benefits of having the Holy Spirit inside of you and, have, and living life through the gospel of Jesus Christ in faith in what he did for us. Last week, we transitioned from not just a problem of sin and, and, and through the solution of the provision of sin, but then we transitioned into the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, our student minister, Joe Salvatore, preached a great message about the freedom we have in Christ. That freedom is so powerful, and, and freedom is powerful. We, we get a, a sense of that as, as we're citizens of, of the, the best, the greatest country on this, on this earth. As this country, the United States, has freedom, and that gives us the power. We're about to elect uh, uh, either the same president or new president, okay? Here, it, it just in a, less than a week or about a, a little over a week. And so with this time that we have, we can uh, look at, you know, these two men or these two different platforms and everything that they're talking about, but we have the ability, we have the power through freedom to be able to vote for that. And so just like we have the power and freedom, you and I have freedom through the Holy Spirit, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, okay? So there's power in freedom, and then there's also freedom not only with the, from sin, but there's freedom from the law, freedom from law. We are free from sin because we are dead to sin, but alive in Christ. And we are free from the law because the law can no longer condemn us, okay? So the law, the, the, the uh, commandments, the, the old law, the Mosaic law, when we look at that and, and people try to follow it with their own abilities, with their own strength, with their own human nature, because they failed time and time again, it brought condemnation upon them. Why? They didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus hadn't come yet. Jesus hadn't sent that yet. But now through the, in the New Testament, in the New Commandment, as Paul explains in Rome, Romans, we, you and I, as we accept Jesus Christ, we can walk in freedom from sin and freedom from the condemnation of the law. So today, we are finishing up this section of the power of the gospel in chapter 8. Okay, and so review again, we have the problem of sin, we talked about that, the provision of sin, and then the power of the gospel. Now, in the first few chapters in Romans, chapters one through seven, the Holy Spirit or the Spirit was mentioned once. In Romans chapter eight, it's mentioned 20 times. The word spirit, standing for Holy Spirit, Okay, it's mentioned 20 times. Why? Because it is a spirit who frees us from sin and death. It is a spirit that enables us to fulfill God's law. We don't have to rely on our own strength to do that. Okay, it is a spirit that changes our nature from the inside out. 
And it is a spirit that gives us the ability to overcome the desires of the fleshly and sinful natures. You, when you accept Christ, truly follow Christ, truly follow him, and you are filled with the Holy Spirit, it gives you that ability. It gives you that power. There can be no success or progress in the Christian life apart from the utter dependence on the third person of the Trinity called the Holy Spirit. And you're going to see in Romans chapter 8, we have the power of the gospel as we started that last week, but we continue. We're going to finish the power of the gospel all based upon the Spirit. So get ready to dive in to Romans chapter 8. Let's look at verses 1 through 8 as we talk about the law of the Spirit. Okay? You ready? Say ready. All right, good. Uh, Romans 8, 1 through 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, which gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. Exactly what I was talking about. Verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. So he, Jesus came down in the sinful flesh, in our flesh, just like us, part God, part man, and he died for us as an offering. And so... He condemned sin in the flesh. Verse four, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be finally met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Already we've had the word spirit many times. So we don't live by the flesh. If you follow Christ, if you've invited Christ and the Holy Spirit in your life, you don't live by this, by this flesh, you live by the spirit. Verse five, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set or fixed on what the flesh desires. But those who live accordance with the spirit have their minds set or fixed on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh in death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. So you understand, you have one that's focused on death, dying, okay? You have one that's focused on life, Spirit gives us life, gives us peace. Verse seven, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. So this first part talks about the law of the spirit, okay? Not the law of the flesh, the law of the of the Spirit. Because of Jesus, we are no longer under the law of sin and death that condemns us when we break the law. Okay? This does not mean we are not held accountable for our actions. It does not mean that we're not held accountable to our sins. We are still under a law, but it's a law of the Spirit that gives us life. The Holy Spirit guides us to obey. So, for example, one of the Ten Commandments, you should not bear false witness. You should not lie. You should not lie. Don't lie, okay? So many, many, many years, thousands of years, since that command has been given to mankind through the law of Moses, 
People have tried to obey that on their own fleshly desires, okay? And in their flesh, without the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the, when they would tell a lie, they would ask for forgiveness and they would all offer a sacrifice for that, an animal sacrifice, and, and, and all of that tied into the law of Moses and, and, and all of those principles. But now with the New Testament, the new covenant, since Jesus, we have the power of the Holy Spirit to want to do that. So the, the difference is now you obey because you want to, not because you have to. Do you understand? The Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit who inspired these very words in God's word, the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the third part of the Trinity lives inside of you. Part of you, part of God lives inside of you. And so you want to not, you don't want to lie. Why? Because you want to please the Lord. You have part of God inside you. So you don't obey because you have to. You obey because you want to. So you are now under the law of the Spirit. Okay? So that's that first part. So then Paul moves on. We talk about life in the Spirit. So what does life in the Spirit look like? Romans uh, 8, 9 through 11. Just these two verses, you see this. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Now, that's, that's important. If anyone does not have the spirit they do, of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Verse 10, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death, because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And that the Spirit of, of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. So the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, uh, gives you life as you obey because you want to obey. If you truly invited Jesus to be Lord of your life, you will desire what the Spirit desires. Your life will be guided by the Spirit. You will desire that time of prayer in God's Word and to please Him with the Lord of your life. It's very sim similar to when a, a man and a woman, they come together and, and, and they're in love with each other. All they want to do is be together. All they want to do is want to hang out together. Okay, there's uh, several times um, th throughout the week we're like, I tell Suzanne, or Suzanne tells me, we're like, I just, I just want to be with you. I don't care what we do. I don't care if we're, you know, going to Walmart, and there's nothing sexy about going to Walmart, all right? But wh whatever it is, whatever it is, just as long as we are together, we just like hanging out with each other. Why? Because we love each other, all right? We love each other. We desire one another. Okay? And we don't, we don't desire each other just when we think about Walmart either. So we, we talked about life of the Spirit. Now, now we move on to sort of a love in the Spirit. So because of this, Paul goes on to explain how we should look at ourselves. And this is all about love in the Spirit. So let's look at verse 12 through 17 as we press on. 12 through 17. Therefore... 
brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Verse 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So we are the children of God. We are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. It's like, have you ever wondered if you had a rich uncle somewhere and he died and just left you, uh, you know, a bazillion dollars? Well, guess what? You have been given the kingdom of God if you have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. If you identify yourself as a Christ follower and if you live like that, because you and I are, are joint heirs with Christ, with Jesus Christ, of the kingdom of heaven. So the spirit from God is not a spirit of slavery. It is a spirit of love. God did not save us simply to compel us to do his bidding. Make sure you understand that. Instead, this spirit is a spirit of loving adoption. God makes us his sons and his daughters. His spirit makes us able to cry out to God as little children cry out to their daddy or their father. We sang a song about this in our worship service. Running to the Father. Many of y'all know our, our, um, our adoption story, okay? As we have three biological children, and God led us to adopt three, brother, uh, uh, two brothers and a sister from Ukraine. It's been nine, almost nine years ago, <laughs> Next month. I cannot believe it. But this adoption story, I think, is really the best illustration about adoption. When we adopted Lawson, Marion, and Lincoln about nine years ago, they did not have to slave their way to become a part of our family. We did not say to them, okay, in order for you to be a part of our family, now that we brought you here, you've got you've to slave and you've got to do all these things. Now, I will have to say this. Sometimes I may feel like slaves, as the rest of our children, with all the chores around their house. But never did we say, you've got to do all of these things in order to become a part of our family. Immediately, they were in family portraits. They were part of family vacations, family trips. They, were, they did everything the family did. Why? Because instantly they were part of the family. They didn't have to do certain things in order to become a part. They were instantly part of it. The only thing they had to do was to say yes to us and leave behind their old way 
of life. Literally, they left everything behind. Everything. And they said yes to us. Starting a new life. And they were adopted into the family. That, my friend, is the gospel story. That is the gospel. You may be sitting here and watching online, and you feel like you're not really part of anything, part of a family, part of this, this, this growing desire to want to be a part of, of your creator. Can I tell you something? You need to stop trying to slave your way through doing good things. It's not working. You need to wave the white flag. You need to surrender your heart, surrender your life, and just say, Jesus, I accept you. I accept you as Savior. It may be a part of your family. And he's going to receive you instantly. You're a part of it. You're in the family photos with God and Jesus. You are. You're a part of the family of God. But you got to leave your past behind. You got to leave your old way of life. And you got to say yes to him. You got to say yes to him. And so that is the gospel message of Jesus. You know, our kids don't live in fear that we're going to disown them or, or desert them. None of our kids do. You know, when Christ lives inside of you, the Holy Spirit confirms that through his word and through prayer that you are a child of God. When I read this book, and these words come alive to me, and I love this journal and this 40-day fast we're doing as I'm walking through this. And I've read Romans through many times, but after we're reading little uh, pieces of Romans bit by bit, and I, and I focus on one single verse, what verse is God speaking to me? And as I pray, and God is telling me, I'm like, thank you, God. I am a child of God. But let me make one thing very, very clear. Not everyone is a child of God. There is a belief out there that we're all children of God. Let me make a distinction here. We are all created, creations of God. We've been created by God, but we are not all children of God. The children of God are the ones who have accepted Jesus Christ, his son, as a sin offering for us, and we live for him. We are then called the children of God. The children of God are the believers of God. All humanity are not the children of God. That's a secular, humanistic way to say, oh, we're all children of God. No, we're not. That is not in the gospel. That is not in the Bible. We are, we are all creation of God, absolutely. But we're children of God when we have accepted him and, been, uh, uh, um, and have become a part of his family. So then we go on to, as the children of God, we also suffer with the family of God. So let's look at 18 through 25. 18 through 25, this is good stuff. Hope you're following, hope you're tracking. If you're tracking with me, shake your head, even online, okay? All right, let's read this next section. Verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. 
For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. For hopes, um, who hopes for what they already have? Question mark. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So if we hope for what we do not have, we're going to wait for it patiently. And so the spirit of God, the spirit of the gospel of Jesus Christ as you're part of the family of God, not only do you rejoice in that and you take part in the family of God, but you suffer as a part of it as well. Keeping with my adoption example, because our, our three adopted kids are part of a family, it also means they participate in the joys and the sufferings of the family. About 10 months ago, we had to say goodbye to our lovely dog, Charlie. Now, we, we had Charlie for about 14 years. Charlie's a black lab, great dog. You may have, some of our friends may have remembered that on social media. We kind of, you know, did a whole life of Charlie video, all this stuff. But we had Charlie probably about four years before we expanded our family through adoption. But our, all of our children, our entire family, became attached to this other member of our family, this black lab. And just because the, the, the expanded family, uh, members of our family, kind of came in later in life, does it mean that they did not suffer with us saying goodbye to our dog? They, they suffered with us just as much as we said goodbye to Charlie. Now, I know I'm just using it as an example, but there's several examples. As we walk through together as a family, not only do we rejoice together, but we suffer together. If you are part of the body of Christ, if you have accepted Christ as Savior, and if you're part of that family, not only do you rejoice in the family of God, but you suffer with the family of God. When one member of the family suffers, we all suffer as a unit. During this, the past several months, since March, we've been suffering together, not only as, as Lake Point Church, but the, the bigger overall Big C Church is the body of Christ. We've been suffering together because we've been missing people. There are people watching online. You, ha you haven't been back yet, and that's perfectly fine. You're just as part of the family. We know you're with us in spirit. There are people here today who uh, 
took a, a big break, but now they're, they've come back today, and, and it's good to see you. And why? Because we miss you. And I know you miss us just as much. I get those text messages. I get those phone calls, those letters. We get it. We understand. But we can't wait until we are all together. Even more, we wait patiently, as Paul says, for the greater hope when the full adoption comes in effect, when we are all finally home. When we went through that adoption process with Lawson, Marin, and Lincoln, it was a long process. We were there for six weeks in Ukraine. We traveled by a two or three different plane rides getting home. It was, a, it was a big process. But we waited patiently when, they, when we celebrated the homecoming of them being home with us. One of these days, we will all celebrate when we are finally home in heaven if you are part of the family, if you've been adopted into the family of God. And remember, it's not because what you slave to, to, uh, uh, by what you do to be a part of it, because you simply surrendered your life to Jesus. You said yes to him. You, you put your old life behind you, and you went to be with him. So not only do we rejoice together, but we suffer together. But even through our suffering, there is comfort. And Paul talks about this. The Holy Spirit gives us comfort while we suffer as the family, as Paul says in verse 26 through 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. The Holy Spirit comforts us as we wait patiently. Have you ever, have you ever come to a, a time of suffering in your life when you go before God and you're quiet and you're just still before him and you just don't know what to say? Have you, ever, have you ever been there? If you've never, you will. When you just stand before God or just fall down or kneel down before God and you just like, God, I don't know what to say. Please help me. Guess what? The Holy Spirit inside of you is bringing comfort to your life, is pouring an oil, which is a representation of the Spirit, pouring an oil over your spirit, over your soul, and is soothing you and is healing you. That's what oil does and is healing your life and praying for you when you don't have the words to say. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? The Holy Spirit knows what to say. It's kind of like when you and, and one of your close friends or close family members are going through a time of trial or suffering and maybe have lost a loved one and you just look at each other and you just start to cry and you don't speak a word to each other, but you know, you're, it's like you're, you're receiving the thoughts 
of that other person if you're really close and, and you're giving thoughts to them, but you're not saying anything with your mouth. It's your spirits connecting to one another. It's the same way with you and the Father. The Holy Spirit is there to comfort us when we go through times of suffering as a church family. And that's why it's important when you suffer, it's important for you to be part of a family of God. When you suffer, you're not suffering on your own. You are suffering together with other people. You are not alone. So while we wait on that glorious day when we're all fully adopted we complete the adoption process. We are, we are adopted, but we're not home yet. Yes, there are people that you and I probably know. There are people that I know and people who actually have been a part of this church and, and people, part of my family, who I know are in heaven and their adoption process is complete. They are home. And they will greet us when we're there. But while we wait we can also be absolutely sure of the one thing, our God is for us. Our God is for us. He is working out every circumstance for the ultimate good. And we see this in verse 28. Go with me to 28 through 30. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be the conformed to his image of his son, that we might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. We can have peace in the spirit knowing that all things are gonna work together for our good. Paul is talking about Christians who have placed their trust in Jesus Christ when he says called according to his purpose. That's who we are. Each of us, remember he's talking to Christians here, each of us is called according to fulfill God's purposes. The comfort is that nothing in this life is wait, is of waiting and suffering is wasted. So nothing in this life, our waiting and our suffering, none of that is wasted. It is all meaningful for those in Christ, even if that doesn't diminish our pain in the moment. For example, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter who becomes the next president. It doesn't. Now, I'm not saying don't vote. Please vote. Yes. Please pray. Please spend time in, in, in before God and, and fast before him. But it doesn't matter who becomes the next president because we know that it will all work out for us who are called according to his purpose. God works in, through, in and through us toward an ultimate good that serves his purpose for the universe, his purpose, not our purpose, for the universe. This brings an amazing peace into our lives. While the world freaks out and burns things down, guess what? We're like, man, we're chill. No matter. It's all gonna work out for our good. It's all gonna work out for our good. 
This brings so much peace into our lives. God knew before creation who would accept his son, Jesus. He knew that. But it's still our choice to make. It's still our choice to make. God's ultimate destination of humanity is heaven. But our sin draws many away from accepting Jesus Christ. God knew that. But God has so much love. You need to listen to this. God has so much love for humanity that he created people for him to love while knowing they will never choose him. He created people knowing, I know they're not going to choose me. But I've got so much love. I'm going to pour as much love as I can around their life. I'm going to give them good things in the hopes that, you know, maybe they would see the light. Maybe they would sense that there is a great Father in heaven who loves them more than anything in this world. I'm still going to create them. What an amazing God. That proves that God is so much full of love to create people knowing they're never going to choose me. But I'm still going to love them. I'm still going to love them. And he knows who's going to choose him. He foreknows that. He, he foresees that. Paul then talks about our response to God's favor as we Talk about the favor in the spirit. Verse 31. The favor of the spirit. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword you put whatever situation in there. It's covered. As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. We have the favor of God. We have the favor of the Holy Spirit in our life as we have accepted him as Savior. God being for us means that nobody can ever bring accusation against us and make it successful. Why? Because God has already justified us, just as if we have never sinned. Again, talking to Christians. Christ stands, Christ stands by making intercession for us and that he paid for each and every sin with his own blood. It's possible that a believer might remain unconvinced that God is for us. This is more likely when facing hard times in our life or in our own sinfulness 
or just a lack of feeling connected to God. To combat this discouragement, Paul provides the ultimate evidence. God didn't spare his own son, or didn't God spare his own son? Of course he did. God the Father sacrificed his, um, sacrificed his sinless, righteous son, Jesus, to pay the penalty price for our sin. If God did that for us, how could we ever think he is not for us? God proved it. If God is for us, who could be against us? We proved that. He proved that by sending his son Jesus to die for us, by sending a way for us to walk in freedom from sin. Jesus is our advocate. As we stand before the great judge, Jesus is there saying, look, I died for that sin. The penalty has been paid. No accusation or condemnation can stand against us in the throne room of God. Paul now writes that we must never attempt, we, I'm sorry, we must never interpret the darkness of earthly life as evidence of God's lack of love for us. So when you and I are in dark times, when we face darkness, dark days, whether uh, trials and tribulations come, or because maybe we don't feel as connected with God, don't think that, we, uh, that God has left us. God has not moved. It's us that, that, that moves. And so when dark times come, don't think that God has left you. He will never leave us, never forsake us. And Paul closes out this chapter by talking about the conquering spirit who what? Who never leaves. Verse 37. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Those who have been saved by faith in Christ Conquer the terrible things in the sense that Christ has already won the most important victory for us. In all things, we're more than conquerors through Christ. Not our own strength. Not our own strength. By our faith in Christ. Our hope in him. Our trust in him. And he has conquered sin, death, hell, the grave, and he lives victoriously on his throne in heaven. And we have been adopted into his family if we have accepted him as Lord and Savior. Let me ask you this. Do you feel like you're separated from God? Nothing can separate us from God. For those who are in Christ, but do you feel like you're you're far away from God? Watching online, do you just feel like there's a void missing in your life? Maybe you've been trying to be a good person and just keep tri- tripping up. Maybe you're, you've just got so much anger in your life and you don't know what to deal with it. 
Maybe all this political stuff has just got you fired up and you're just ready to just burst through a, a, a wall or something. Just anger or frustration or whatever. And it's brought lots of just uncertainty, maybe some pain, maybe some bad relationships into your life. Whatever the case may be, if you feel like you're far from peace in your life, if you have no peace in your life, it's because you have no Savior. God is not with you. He's not. But you can fix that today. You can fix that today by just simply surrendering your life to him and laying your life down. Jesus already laid his life down, but I'm talking about your own desires, your own desires, your own way of living, your own understanding. Just simply come to God and say, God, I give you my life. I give you my heart. Every head bowed, every eye closed, even watching online, if you just want to have an attitude of prayer in this, in this powerful moment as we close out, just know this. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. As we started off this chapter, chapter eight, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. While you're sitting there with your head bowed, maybe you feel like you've just been condemned. Maybe other people have condemned you, or you've, you, you've just been condemned by your past, by your thoughts. There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. The Spirit of God brings conviction, helps you to turn your life, to turn away, to repent, and to confess your sins. That's conviction. But condemnation puts people down, makes them feel ashamed of themselves. Jesus said, I did not come to bring condemnation, but to bring life. He said that in John 3, 17. So that condemnation is not coming from Jesus. It's not coming from God. That is coming from the, the enemy, Satan, and your own thoughts, your own sinful life. So if you've been condemned, if you felt ashamed, just know this. God wants to rescue you from that. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You could take care of that right now. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you want to accept Christ as Savior, you just simply say, dear Jesus, I, I really don't know you, but I know I need a Savior. I need peace in my life. Please come into my life Come be my Lord. Please forgive me my sin. Help me turn away from the past. And help me run to the cross. I want to run to the Father. I need a Father to run to. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.